No. No, it, it wasn't what anyone thought it was going to be until we are right in the middle of it, oftentimes. You know, you go look out 100 feet in front of you and be like, oh, that looks like cake, and then all of a sudden you're still in that 100 feet a month later with the demo hammer going nonstop around the clock almost to, to, to get there. So it was always a surprise the entire time. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. If you are new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. As you may know, trail builders are not always living in the best places for recording podcasts. At the same time, it is super important to do what we can to get the personalities that make the Trail Effect podcast what it is, which sometimes mean recording in less than ideal locations for perfect audio. So bear with us as we recorded this podcast virtually, and the guests in this episode took advantage of decent cell service in a parking lot in Bentonville. Episode 70 features James Flatten the founder of Flow Farmer LLC. Prior to starting the Flow Farmer LLC, James spent many years working for single track trails, where he took part in building some of the most iconic trails around, most notably the massive endeavor known as the Palisade Plunge. During this interview, we dove into some of the building that James has done in numerous bike parks, and ultimately James shares some pretty incredible stories around his trail building adventures. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for truck bicycle company and Celsa Cycles. Smith also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Now on to the trail effect with James Flatten, the original full farmer. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I've got James Flatten. James is a trail builder. He's built in some of the most iconic places that I know of, and I'm sure most of us know of, such as Grand Junction. He's the guy behind Free Lunch, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah, that was my first paid gig with with Greg at Single Track Trails back in 2007. We're recording this in the land of Oz, virtually. And so if you hear some sirens and stuff in the background, that's just comes with the territory and will add flavor to this recording. So it's, it's, uh, it is what it is. And we got to, um, make the best out of this stuff. And I think it's incredible that we have the opportunity to get James on here and, and get James's backstory and learn about what James has done in terms of trail building. And he also goes by the handle, the original flow farmer. And so we'll get into that in a little bit, but let's, let's learn about your backstory, James, and kind of what led you into trail building in general. Well, as a wee lad in the canyons of San Diego, I started building jumps and, you know, jumping trash cans with my friends when I was about 10, 12 years old. And I just always enjoyed jumping my bike. And, you know, there's a little lull in my late teens and early 20s, as well, like maybe a lot of us get into with, with different priorities. But I started mountain biking in the mid-90s, got out on some dirt roads and whatnot, and took that little lull moved to Colorado 
back to my homeland and that was in the late 90s and you know a lot of the a lot of the old movies were starting to come out with free riding and stuff like that and i found myself pushing my old hardtail with a full face helmet on up the hills and skidding down them and you know just started building jumps again and and i became known in the grand valley there as as kind of like the free ride guy that was building building jumps and drops out in the desert and doing all that and then when free lunch was getting contracted out greg asked around town of who to hire locally to help him with that project and he reached out to me and that's the start of the career there's a lot more to it you know private property trails that we did called the ranch where we had a ranch style competition slope style dual slalom stuff and yeah geez it's been this is my 15th year professionally being a trail builder but you know it's a 30 year long journey really yeah what uh so we mentioned earlier the original flow farmer go into what that what that means for you as being the original flow farmer because i think flow is different things to different people right right so at, at, at the ranch up above grand junction the owner of grassroots cycles matt bullig bought 35 acres and we we called it the ranch and like i said it's where we had ranch style and all that and we had about seven free ride trails up there and I was quote unquote the lead builder or what have you, and then we had Flattens Flow Farmers, which were, which were, uh, you know, a group of guys that would come up and help me out, and we'd all collaborate, build the raddest, craziest things that we could think of, and and then I got this tattoo on my arm, you know, with the with the gear, a McLeod and a shovel, and I put Farm Your Flow. For me, that's just cultivating whatever it is that that gives you flow. I mean, it could be anything at all, any kind of artistic outlet that allows you to, you know, achieve flow in your life. I find it to be through trail building, building jumps, whatever, just to have fun with. And, and so I got this tattoo and some gentlemen that will remain, remain nameless. I showed the tattoo to, they started a company called Flow Farm Productions. They emailed me that winter and we're like oh check out our new website man and i'm like you pretty much completely stole my name you know and they're like oh can you blame us that's pretty clever and i'm like well yeah i can kind of blame you so that's where the handle original flow farmer came from so i was like okay i was the original you might have that but anyways i have my own company now which is the flow farmer llc so now it's mine forever that's awesome so is that other do those other people still exist in terms of what they're doing or is that kind of disappeared? Um, a couple of them moved over to a Hawaiian island, I think Maui, and they they live on the flow farm, which it's like a I think a sugarcane farm where they have some trails and stuff like that. They actually do pretty cool things. They have like I think little community gatherings up there and kids camps or whatever and stuff like that. So good on them following through. But well, I'm glad you could still maintain the original name and then start a company out of it. Oh, thank you. You know it's. So the way James and I came to meet was through, uh, I was at the PTBA conference. James is in, in Bentonville doing some building with his new company. And it was literally the last, my last ride, last run of my trip in Bentonville for that, for that week I was there. And we just struck up a conversation over at a place known as Handcut Hollow, which I believe your company that you used to work for had a, had a hand in building and at least the, the hand cut portion of it. And it was just interesting that 
I think it was it's just pure coincidence that we completely ran into each other because I was going to like not do that last run. And then there's like superstition around doing a last run too, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> the last. <laughs> you never call the last run because usually bad things happen. Yeah. But this is a situation where the, the exact opposite happened. And so I was really fortunate to be able to meet you in person and have a conversation about, about the podcast and about your trail building experiences. And then when I left, your van was parked across my truck and I, and I took a picture of, of your van and texted it to a couple of buddies of mine who have recently gotten brand new, fully kitted out, fully kitted out sprinters. Mm-hmm. And I basically told them that they were doing it wrong. <laughs> so I'm I, I'm a little I got van envy for those nice big sprinters, but I also really love my van. Yeah, that thing's got some soul <laughs> behind it, you know. She does. She does. <laughs> well, speaking of that, let's dig into into trail building for you and like what you know what kind of goes into the process for you when you get maybe a new project comes online or maybe if you're asked to come, you know, even flag to figure out what a trail might look like and then go build it like what does that what what does that process look like for you as a builder man i try to interpret the corridor as if the trail has always existed there and we just kind of come in and scrape the dirt off it like it's meant to be there i I want it you know even if it's a flow trail with jumps on it like i don't want to force anything i don't want to move a ton of dirt i want to be have as minimal impact on nature as possible and and just find a good good sense of connection through the experience of of that trail and it could be i mean any any kind of trail it, it it's irrelevant of the style and the magnitude of the build itself i just want it to really fit in with its settings and and connect i mean cool features if there's a mossy rock or an awesome tree the water anything like that like just just really capture the capture the settings Let's go way back in time to free lunch. And single tracks got that contract, but we're very keen to point out that you are the person to bring in to make that trail happen. You know, what did, what did that mean to you? And what did you look for considering you already had a good knowledge of what that region had in mind or what, you know, what that region held for potential? Like what did that trail build look like to you? Well. I mean, there were also some other key players. I just want to mention that really fast, for sure. But besides that, we knew that, A, it was going to be pretty gnarly and rocky, given the setting it was in. There was going to be a lot of exposure. The build itself had a few technical aspects, but all in all, it was a pretty basic build, as as some Black Diamond-style trails are. Like, you just want to leave them as raw as possible, build a couple landings here and there. but. Yeah, it's at first I when I first saw the corridor, I'll I'll admit that I I thought it left a little bit more to be desired. You know, it was pretty flat. Mind you, this was my first professional style experience, you know, like working with actual grades that are sustainable and all that and not really understanding that you can really haul some ass on five percent even, three percent, let alone six. You know, so there was a there was a lot of learning curve there for me as as being like the rogue pirate builder guy, and then coming into a professional style setting and having it all be legit. There was some pressure behind it being the only or the first downhill specific trail on BLM property in the nation. 
So there was a bit underneath that microscope, but I think we met met everyone's expectations and made a really fun kind of iconic trail. I think it's it's held up good to the test of time being as it's primarily made of rock and it's really gotten funner, it's more technical and rough and chunky and janky as it's as it's aged. Yeah, you just brought up a point that I didn't really throw it to to you in the email of topics which is the the Bureau of Land Management. What's it been like to work? That's, you know, I don't I haven't dove into that topic a whole lot on this podcast and it's an area that I would like to explore more because it does encompass such a great amount of land, especially out west. I think I got the deepest on the Bureau of Land Management with uh Sean Gregory in his interview. But what is it what has it been like for you working in those you know, working with that government agency and on those lands? Overall it's been I mean fairly straightforward. I think that that trail experience there was a lot of fear from that office just not really knowing what was going on the the recreational manager that might be his title might not be but anyways his name's chris pipkin he came up to the ranch where we were had some free ride stuff built and we were riding bikes for him and showing him like see this crazy stuff can work and it's it's not that bad like it's okay we have cross-country helmets on you know blah 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 and he was a little blown away but and was always a little bit skeptical and but he's always had a good amount of trust behind him as and trust is in trusting us builders to do the proper thing and not kill people for selfish reasons. Like we're really wanting to create these good experiences and in other agencies I've worked alongside, it's been a pretty similar experience. I think as, as I like to say, the old guard moving out and the, the younger generations moving into those, those offices are now, have more exposure to these recreational different types of recreation you know mountain biking gets kind of crazy and as riders progress they want harder stuff to ride you know blah 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 so they're they're understanding that there is a a need for it and if they don't provide that need or or meet or meet that need people are just going to do it on their own and then that's how people do get hurt by having non-professionals building these things so i've always had a really positive experience with the blm i've never had too much pushback there's always maybe some hesitation like i don't know about gaps blah 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 and but they're always receptive and open to the explanation of why oftentimes a gap is a safer feature for a more advanced rider than something that someone can roll and and whatnot so always been positive yeah let's let's put a timestamp on when you built free launch just so people understand that that was not in recent two recent years in terms of the relative age of mountain biking yeah so 2007 it was fall of 2007 we built free launch so it's i mean it was either godly huge gozzolotti three three inch wide tires i mean handlebars at 26 inches were extremely wide you know six inch travel downhill bikes were still a prominent thing I mean, geez, long stems or people still out there with foot long stems and flat bars and no, there were no seat droppers. You know, you got you, you climbed your bike and you got off your bike and either got out your Allen wrench or your quick release and dropped your saddle like manually. There was no buttons to push. <laughs> yeah. So it was, uh, yeah. yeah kind of a long time ago. 
we're the same age, I believe, 43 years old, roughly. And I think it's interesting, you know, I've been mountain biking for a long time. And I think it's interesting to see the whole mixed wheel thing. We're totally sidetracking right here. But to see the whole mixed wheel thing come back, like, because mixed wheels back then, or back the original mixed wheels were 24 inch and 26 inch wheels. Yeah, the old big hit, the old specialized big hit. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's interesting to see that. And, it, and like back then, it, like a 24 inch wheel, it didn't make sense, right? In 27.5 and 29 actually does make a fair amount of sense. Oh, as a rider of a mullet bike now, it's amazing. And I was even late to the, to the, to getting away from 26 inch wheels and holy cow, it just opens up a whole new world. Bikes are so much faster and smoother. It's great. Well, let's get into some of the communities that you've built in outside of Grand Junction. Um, I know when we were talking, you I think you're based out of Salida now and you've probably built in that region, correct? Yes, I have. Let's mm-hmm. what's uh I know that's another pre- I've never been to Salida. I've been to Grand Junction. Um Let's talk about some of the stuff that's pretty iconic that you've done there, or maybe other places that I don't know about. So our first, or yeah, first experience in Salida, I think was 2017, maybe, give or take a year. But we did um, a couple trails. One was called the Dude Abides, and that was a blue trail with black options. And we did another trail called Hooligan, which was a blue-black trail with maybe up to double black options. And why those two trails have such significant meaning to me is it was about the turning point that I noticed clients asking for more optional lines, like more A, B, and even C lines and stuff like that, instead of just one common, just A line trail. You know, we were, we were allowed to branch off, go over here, hit this drop, go off this roll, you know, reconvene. So that, that, was, that was pretty cool to me. Um, came back a few years later and built three miles of flow trails called there's Soul Train East, Soul Train West, Solstice. We rehabbed an old pirate trail as a climbing trail called Sun Up. And then we went across the valley back over into the Arkansas Hills area and built a double black trail, which has, it's one of the gnarliest builds I've been involved with. And it's called El Deuterino. It's right next to Deutabides. It's, it's that. Anyways, um, and that trail is just deep and nasty and so much armoring on it. I mean, we, we stripped every usable piece of rock off that hillside for 800 feet within the tread to try to build some of these sections down these crazy chutes with huge exposure. And that, that was such a fun build to really, you know, we had a great team of builders. You know, Shaggy was on that build. Buddy Dante Harmony, um, shrimper out of North Carolina, was out on that build, and his son, you know, and some other other amazing guys, and that was great. That was a really great summer. That was super fun to to build build nice flow trails, and then go build the gnarliest stuff that really any of us have that is legal. And I would definitely suggest checking out any of those trails. They're such a good time. You've also built in places like Iowa. I have, yes. Oddly enough, when how did that <laughs> how did that experience uh, maybe contrast El Dudorino and Dudabides? <laughs> Where I will say it lacked in terrain, it made up for in amazing, wholesome people that were really grateful to have 
anything brought to their backyards. I mean, White Rock Conservancy was a huge build, but we built, I mean, geez, close to 30 miles or something. And over the course of two years, probably four months of work. So it was crazy to go out and have like a a 3,800 foot day, you know, for a group of builders. That's just such an amazing feat. You know, my buddy, Stefan, backslope 3,800 feet one day. It's crazy, right? Like By hand? Yeah, we were cutting with ditch witches for that. So it was a vertical, vertical edged, hard clay in the spring. Yeah, and he cut by hand all by himself. Just the perfect mirrored sheen backslope, 3,800 feet. He was a beast. <laughs> but yeah, and then up in Des Moines, you know, we did a little, a few little free ride trails, and, you know, it was probably a total of eight jumps and 12 berms and three little trails that are have 35 feet elevation. And, I mean, we had an open tab at the El Bait shop downtown for just being builders. We walked in there like, oh, you're those guys from Colorado. Here's an open tab. You know, it's like, enjoy yourselves. So it's like, yeah, where they, where they lack terrain, they make up for and just amazing people. So grateful. And so honestly, I will say Des Moines has been one of my favorite places to work in because of that. Everyone comes out and they're just beaming from ear to ear like, oh man, thanks so much for just bringing us anything at all. So. (laughs) (laughs) For shaping our, our, our 50 feet of vertical landscape. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's, I mean, Iowa is as close to where I live and, and I understand the challenges that you have that a builder would have, you know, every time I go to Bentonville, it's, you know, you drive right through Des Moines from where I live. And so, you know, those who have been through that, that part of the country can appreciate, you know, what, what's been done. So let's go back to your home community into one of the more or most iconic trail builds, at least I've ever heard of. And I've you know, which is the Palisade Plunge. I I first found out about it through the Free Hub magazine article and then got deeper into it with uh, Greg Mazu and his interview with the Trail Effect podcast and then learned even more about it with the detailed presentation that Greg was able to make at the Professional Trail Builders Association to kind of illustrate what that trail is and what building that meant in terms of like sheer like, I don't know if you want to want to call it willpower. I mean, you're going to be able to expand on this more than anyone, I believe. But let's talk about the plunge, generally speaking, for those who aren't aware of it, and then what that build really meant and what it actually took to get done. This is a, is a huge project. Yeah. Uh, the word magnitude is definitely a good descriptor of that, of that thing. It's a, a bit of a monstrosity as far as as far as an undertaking goes from a logistical standpoint, it was, so it's, I, th- I think about 32 miles. I should know that number exactly, but it was 32 miles, 6,000 vert. There's a couple feet, a, cl- a couple thousand feet of climbing in, in it as well. I've heard some dismay from riders that they can't drop in from the top and let go and just coast on down to Palisade. But, you know, when you're dropping 6,000 feet over 30 plus miles, I mean, that's an overall grade of about 3%, right? So it's, it's not this huge, huge shuttle, shuttle app. Like, it's an experience. Like, you're going to go out there. You're going to be tested. Any level of rider is going to be tested. I would think 
the top 5% could maybe not dismount on their bike one time, you know? Everyone's going to walk a little bit, be humbled a little bit, be blown away by the views. And, and you know, I really hope that people don't just drop in and mock down the mountain. I hope they take some time to look at the views and, and realize that they're standing on the edge of a cliff that there were builders repelled off of the edge of said cliff and all their tools were tied off to the to the cliffs around them so that nothing fell and was lost forever including themselves like to build a rock wall to hold the trail in there i mean there's so much so much of that going on that last summer and then there were the group of guys that i was i was mainly involved with i had my crew and we we're up in the middle section of the trail we had an hour plus commute by side by side to get into these campsites we'd go up there for a week at a time it wasn't like these huge hefty campouts but you know mind you it's it's hot out we're chasing bears off like i chased a bear away from my tent one night sift the top of my head like it snout touched the top of my head so i chased it away there were guys getting their faces eaten so bad by the by these little tiny gnats that are so small they'll go through bug netting can't keep them off there's nothing you can do they're getting bit around their eyes so bad that they would wake up in the middle of the night and their eyes would be swollen shut camping no shower it's hot dry dusty no water you know and it's it's i think for all of us as builders the main driving force was just the sheer difficulty of putting trail really where no trail should ever go for one and 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 having that sense of accomplishment and there's i don't know a, a trail builder around that hasn't been in the game for a long time that doesn't have that like looking at looking at terrain and being like there shouldn't be trail here but i'm going to do that and my team's going to do that and at the end of the day looking back and seeing that is i think what drives us all to really do what we do and that's and and to see that go on for 30 miles well the top 12 miles was pretty easy so i'll just say the bottom 20 the bottom 20 miles was i mean nothing short of amazing to to be able to put trail through some of those zones and and to have it just be good i mean it's really it's a really good trail i think overall it's on the list yeah one of the questions that came up at the ptba conference to greg from a Builder out of Switzerland is why didn't you guys use helicopters? <laughs> oh geez, the price, the cost of them. Yeah, that was what Greg had said too. It's like it just considering where Grand Junction is located and where the nearest proximity would be to a helicopter that could fly anything in, it just didn't financially make sense. Yeah, not at all. And I don't know, just made a bunch of hardened builders have to go you know there's only so far you could drive towards camp some camps you could drive right up to but other ones you had to hike in all your water for the week and you know that's each person with 50 pounds of water just for one week and all their food and you know it's trail building so there's a cooler of beer you know these things these things weigh so does diesel all that you know yeah like there's there's remote remote spots where I had to carry in 50 pounds of diesel out three miles you know, to, to get to the machine, put diesel in it. So it's pretty crazy. And if I remember correct from the presentation, there is, and from previous reading, there is a pretty iconic piece 
called Otto's Wall. Mm-hmm. That the the project manager for the government agency that was tasked with overseeing this for you guys took his donkey on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really, really threw it back to the original original build there. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Greg did mention he's like, I don't know like why anybody like that seemed more scary than taking a bike on it. Yeah, he's that's kind of his thing is his burrows. Like he it's he's he's got burrows and does does trips and it was uh and and you know when I speak of offering people their own experience on a trail, that's that's another one, you know, like he could he might be the only person to ever take an actual burrow on that trail. And if we provided him that experience and that joy and that that fear or what have you, whatever whatever that brought him, then we did our job. That's what it's all about. Yeah, before we get off uh, Palisade Plunge, I, I too saw, you know, I've seen some comments in various places about that some of the discontent that people have had. And I think you said it just right. Like, it's an experience. And when I look at something like that, a trail like that, it's not, well, it drops 6,000 feet. It's not a, maybe intended to be a gravity experience, even though you're, you're going from a high point to a lower point, you know, and I think it's just incredible that you guys were tasked with providing that experience and actually accomplishing that because it was, you know, it may have been, I don't think, I don't know. And you, you, you probably knew this better than anybody because you've built in that region for so long, but the goal of connecting point A to point B probably wasn't what some people thought it might be. No, no, it, it wasn't what anyone thought it was going to be until we're right in the middle of it. Oftentimes, you know, you go look out a hundred feet in front of you and be like, Oh, that looks like cake. And then all of a sudden you're still in that hundred feet a month later with the demo hammer going nonstop around the clock almost to, to, to get there. So it was always a surprise the entire time. <laughs> yeah. This is where we transition to bike parks. Oh, nice. We're gonna stand. We're gonna stay in the region, though. Bike parks have been something, at least for me personally, which has then kind of transpired into more content-based podcasts on bike parks. But you've had the opportunity to build in bike parks. You know, when you're when you're working with single tracks and in your region, you know, one of those bike parks being Powderhorn, I believe it's called, and then another one being uh, Purgatory. I I have become a big proponent for bike parks and a pay to play model, but let's talk about, you know, what it's meant for you to build in bike parks and some of the places that you have built trail in. Well, Powderhorn, we'll start there, was a really special place for me. It was, it was a ski area I worked at and started as a lifty and then I was an instructor and, and then I kind of more or less brought the first terrain park with rails in it to Powderhorn, you know, I had all my meetings with the lawyers, told them no one's going to die. Like, just trust, let's do this. And I knew from my experience snowboarding around that mountain so much, kind of where a couple bike trails would fit. So I drew some squiggly lines on a map. This was before I worked with single track trails. And we started the proposal process to the forest service through their mountain manager who was a mountain biker and proposed what is now pinball and blue ribbon, the two trails. And those, you know, kind of melded into my career with single track trails. And then we ultimately got the bit, the build, but I believe it took 
six or seven years or something like that from squiggly lines on a computer screen to actually getting machines on the ground. And I remember having a thought our first day building up there as we started going. And I was like, man, I don't know if you can build trail on this mountain. Like, there's no dirt here. There's nothing. All there is is rock and loam. But we figured out if you stay in the aspen trees, there is dirt. Those aspens need dirt to grow. So we figured out that piece. And that bike park is so fun because it's a real, it's, it's, like, it's like the plunge, right? It's, it's an experience in mountain biking. It's not an over-manufactured, firmy, jumpy, like, you know, just blown apart, glorified BMX track in the, on the mountain. Like, it's mountain biking. You have to, to, really, to really have fun and excel there, you have to be good at brake control. You have to be able to spot your lines, have good body position on your bike, you know, and, and, and I like that. And I think that's something that's missing these days in mountain biking in general, but that's another topic. But anyways we built a few more trails there over the years and it's it's just a really fun bike park it really provides a good place for the locals of grand junction to go in the summertime when it's 100 degrees in the valley you can go up on the grand mesa you can ride the powderhorn bike park you can go fishing it at a lake all in the same day really if you feel up to it you can also drop in the palisade plunge and grab your after day beer down in palisade if you really want to get it get zesty so it really opens up a lot of a lot for that and for the Grand Valley. Purgatory is great. It was kind of a a bike park that went dormant for a few years, got woken back up, and we had the opportunity to go in there and work on the old World Cup downhill course. And honestly, to this day, that is probably my funnest build I've ever been involved in. It's like build at high speed, as hard and technical as you can. Here's a really steep flag line, a flag line that I, that I looked at with my crew, and I was like, I don't know how we're going to do this, and this seems like it shouldn't even be a thing, but it is, and it all worked out, and it was really great. And when they had the big mountain enduro there last year, everyone was really pumped with all of our work. But I had my camper at the top of the mountain all summer and could wake up, drop in, go to the crew. I could be working on a section. They could give me a call, have a question, like, hey, man, I'll be right there and get on my bike, ride some amazing trail to them, answer their question in a couple minutes and, you know, make it, have an excuse to make a lap, right? Like, but yeah, the, the pay-to-play model is great. I mean, it's everyone there. I, I, I would like to see, sorry, I got kind of sidetracked. I would like to see a little bit more separation, like, for family-friendly trails and and expert level level trails into and me as a rider to not have guys that are extremely fast riding the greens you know i i now have a partner with with two boys and one of the boys is 10 and i find myself you know we ride family laps on these green trails and there's always some people riding them at, at mock stupid and then get upset with us for having a beginner downhill rider on a beginner downhill trail and i don't understand that that's one thing i would like to see shift in the whole bike park thing but overall yes oh that's super important yeah you know and it's that's actually a place that i'm glad you went because you know i'm i'm a father of an eight-year-old daughter who's going to be nine this summer and a six-year-old daughter and while my six-year-old I guess would be more of the traditional daughter in terms of like the things she's into with 
with dolls and isn't really got into her bike and loves to dress up into dresses and stuff like that. My older daughter, probably because she was my first daughter, has really gravitated more towards, you know, bike riding and being outside more. And, and you're right. Like if we're going to, if we're going to groom future people into having good experiences, like we need, we don't need to scare them or feel like we're inconvenienced by someone learning how to ride. Yeah. You know, and, and help them have a good experience. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing that's going to shy away a new rider more than just people, you know, sorry, was being assholes. I mean, straight up. And that happens in Colorado a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think it happens everywhere. It's not yeah. it's not a Colorado thing. It's that's true. And quite frankly, there are places where that's super appropriate. And I feel that those places thrive because of that. And I'm going to bring up one prime example of that being Windrock Bike Park in Tennessee. You know, they unapologetically build really hard stuff and that's their thing. And they will be the first to point out, like, this is not your typical bike park experience. Like this was built with the World Cup downhill training facility in mind to get people to ride at a really high level. And even to their surprise, there's a really big market for that. And I'm glad to see that market growing in mountain biking. But the flip side, one of the things that I've found through interviewing um, resort owners or resort managers is that bike parks also serve as a very good venue for teaching people how to ride a bike. The barriers of mountain biking are a couple things, one being fitness and another one being technical ter- terrain. And when you can give somebody, you can take fitness out by giving them a ride to the top. And then you can take the technical terrain part by giving them a very, very green rider experience that helps grow the sport and resort owners really know that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It is. It is a great, great introduction, great tool for that. And, and yeah, I would see, I would like, yeah, that's why I, I, I speak on like having that broader range, like a little bit, even if one, one side of the mountain is, is, you know, segregated for experts and one side is more beginner intermediate friendly, like, I think there's a lot of terrain to, to really, to really help with that. And yeah, you hit it for sure. Yeah. What are some of the trends that you've seen in your view with, with bike parks in the bike park industry? You know, you've built at Purgatory and at Powderhorn, both places that I've not been to, but I could, based on what you've said and based on what I've read on these places, they're probably more of a original type of mountain bike experience and not as manufactured, but what, what kind of stuff are you seeing in that avenue, that area? I mean, they're definitely catering to that family experience, which is great. That emphasis on green trails and blue trails, flow trails, berms, rollers, jumps, you know, everything that is really exposing the sport to the mainstream audience. You know, there's, there's a lot of families showing up with, you know, renting bikes, renting full gear, heading on up the mountain. And I think that's great. And I, I see that's where I see the greatest potential in the bike parks is for sure. Let's let's shift gears into communities. One of the things I really like, I like to ask people guests on the show is what in your mind makes a great mountain bike or trail community for you? Or what are the things you look for, whether it's a place to move to or live or a place that you're going to potentially travel to or that you have traveled to? I would say Overall, for places I've traveled, I believe that Bentonville has the 
the tightest mountain biking community. And I say that because my very first night in Benville, I was riding around Slaughter Pen area, you know, sessioning the masterpiece and all these, all these, all these things around there. And when the sun was going down and school was out of session and the fireflies were going off, I, I would witness families on their Walmart bikes and families on their plastic bikes, you know, high-fiving each other and some with helmets, some without, and everyone just really having a good time. And if I could see that in a community, that, that definitely signifies like unity and connection. And, and they've done a really great job here with bringing the masses together. You know, it doesn't matter how much money anyone has, doesn't, you know, all, all of that stuff's irrelevant. It's just about going out and giggling on your bike and having fun, being scared a little bit and laughing that off. I think, you know, having good, for me personally, I like good, healthy, you know, food. That's one thing. I, I sobered up some years ago for the most part, and I don't really worry about, think about breweries and things like that anymore, but that is a sense of community in our sport. Like, there's no denying it. I just wish more breweries had a nice craft kombucha or something for guys like myself that would like to go be social and not feel like an outcast, right? And have something bubbly that's fermented to drink and, and laugh and be with other people. So just anything that has gathering places, I think is amazing. Good restaurants. But yeah, I think overall, it's just the people in the community that really, you know, have, you know, yeah, that magnetize people to come there, right? Like they have that magnetic pull. And I think it's all about the people and, and the experience there. So. And Bentonville is a good example of that. Like you brought up, there is a really good selection of restaurants. I don't personally drink a whole lot myself. I do enjoy, speaking of fermented stuff, I do enjoy a good cider. And when I mean a good cider, it usually stops at one. Mm-hmm. But um, sometimes I'll go two. <laughs> but it's it's kind of, I'd never even thought about a good kombucha, but that that's something definitely that I'm going to keep an eye out. You know, I, I do agree that, that's that's actually maybe something that maybe maybe you're going to be a trendsetter here. Somebody will listen to this and <laughs> take that challenge on. I hope so, man. It's it would be really helpful. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of challenges, let's go into where you're at now. Where you're at in terms of trail building, and I don't mean physically, but I mean where you are with your company. Um, you, you know, we we've kind of we've already talked about how you did you did start your own company, but you know, where you're at with that and in your view of the state of the industry and kind of the way you see things. Well, I, I'm definitely taking a bit of leap of faith in, in, in 14 years of single track trails, I developed some relationships with clients, potential clients, friends, or whatever people that I can reach out to and ask them if they have some small projects I can take on independently, I guess ultimately is what I would like to do. There's someone that would like to use my expertise or whatever in a subcontractor form, I would be more than happy to do that as well. But I really am, am, I have the goal of working a little bit less, making a little bit more. And I just really want to have somewhat of a life. I would like to do some mountain bike coaching. I really enjoy riding with people and helping them advance their skills. I think that's, that's something that is really fulfilling to me, you know, on a personal level just cut another facet in the skills with that, I think would be pretty fun. But yeah, man, just, I want to bring really good crafted trail 
to the community and if it's little bits and pieces here and there then i'm okay with that if i get bigger projects that take me a year or two to do but it's it's kind of how i envision mountain biking to be then then i'm for that as well like i just really want to yeah just have a nice creative freedom i think is is huge with what i'm looking for i i like yeah just good intimate trails man just go out and ride your bike i like i like to out you know i enjoy bringing experience to people on a gravel path or experience to the best riders in the world i think and i want to be able to have the ability to to pick and choose of that stuff i want to build massive jumps i love building massive jumps i love hitting massive jumps you know i also enjoy unplugging and putting my head down and grinding out a, a long ride these days too so I mean, as far as where I want my company to go, like sky's the limit. I'm completely open to so many things. As long as it's rooted in connection, that's all I really care about with that. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we talked about manu- like kind of manufactured trails and, and whatnot. And I do believe that there is, because there's been a, a huge amount of that going in in various places, that people are kind of learning or wanting to get back to the roots of mountain biking and getting some of the more raw experiences with maybe some of the keeping in mind that we do have a lot of new users coming online, you know, and not because that's one of the things that it's, it's one of the things I've really been frustrated for as a person that's been involved with my own community is when we started getting machine built trails, I was told like, it's, it's the dumbest thing ever. If people can't ride it, maybe they shouldn't be mountain bikers. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I get frustrated with that because it's a it's an it's an elitist mentality, you know. But at the same time, people that are getting into mountain biking probably do want to be able to you know broaden their horizon and learn to ride some of the some of the more technical stuff, or at least have a feeling of that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I like that elitist mentality. I've never I've thought of that or heard it that way, but it's it's true, man. It's it's very selfish and us being in the industry like we have friends in the industry like they bought homes they need to pay their bills by having a successful bicycle industry and to do that you have to sell bikes you have to sell bike parks parts so that said we need to have those those beginner trails we need to have these what i call overly manufactured trails or you know but there needs to be a line there. And I think we're kind of reaching that. There's so much of that nowadays. There's a lot of, a lot of big Burmy flow trails. And, you know, honestly, if I wake up and I want to go on a, just a spin in the morning, the first thing I'm going to pedal up to and ride down is like Solstice and Salida. It's going to be a grind up a, up a asphalt road and I'm going to drop in and I'm going to hit a bunch of berms and really fun flowy jumps. It's, it's so amazing and really fun to, to feel that to have your bike G out in various, various radiuses, right? Like that's what bikes are for. I think is linking up turns, Ging out, like having, you know, radiuses, man. And where I want to see building go is have those, those trails still exist. Or if we run out of places to build them, like start making them better, you know, as they've been manufactured by these companies that have exponentially blown up beyond their means even and having to hire people that don't necessarily have the skills set yet to build really good turns really good jumps 
like start dialing in those trails and make them really good make them more sustainable it is possible like they can all drain better like every every trail can always drain better there's always always things we can do there but let's put forth some more money and build like more advanced trails now i think that's there's there's some buddies of mine up in up in vancouver bc on the north shore and they're they're starting a movement up there and it's like you know there's so many world-class riders up there like it's obscene right how many pro riders live there and there's a really big hunger for world-class riders getting tested on legal world-class trails and i would really like to see that happen i think that's that to me is the next big movement is is like let's up up the ante and and let these professional guys like myself and there's a a countless amount of, of people that have been doing this for 20 years that are great amazing builders and and they can go out and and pretty much blindfolded build an amazing trail like let's let's let them be tested like let me be tested on what's possible as a builder to meet a high level rider's expectations and needs to excel themselves like there needs to be there needs to people need to look out for the advanced rider too and i think that time is is coming especially with the amazing bikes these days and there's 14 year old kids out there that can ride at a pro level you know in 2005 pro level free rider you know he's 14 like those kids are going to want to advance their skills when they're a couple years so like let's start advancing those those guys as well so yeah and you hit on a topic early on and you just reminded me of that which is building you know, if you don't, if you don't build what people want, people will go build what they want in a not controlled manner. And, and this isn't going to be the first time this is said, and this isn't going to be the last time this is said, but I've often compared mountain biking to prohibition, you know, as which, which in a sense, and, and I didn't, I didn't think of this myself. I picked it up somewhere. I don't know where, but the reality is, is that you can either build it, build what people want. Or people are going to go go build what they want, and it's going to be done in a fashion that most people, at least public agencies, probably aren't going to want to see, you know. And so to make that bridge, which I think is a little bit of what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it takes a lot of years to really develop the skill set to build a 40 foot gap that works well. You know that I mean, anyone sure can go make two piles of dirt that's 40 feet apart, but to to properly manage speed coming down the hill you know to where it's not like the sniper things like like you can hit this stuff almost casually if it's laid out correctly you know you don't have to like gap this little perfect rock gap in the in the boulder field and then slap the berm and tap tap brakes once and then it works good like make the trail flow well into these big massive features and it can be safe and really a really good experience for a lot of people and it can allow them to advance like and and that takes a lot of skills as a builder to get there it's not just you know being out rogue and and you know that 14 year old kid might hear about this crazy trail out in the woods and go try something and if it's if it's not built correctly and safely then that that kid can get hurt where i think it's 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 our responsibility as this industry to, to really just like start catering to like a broad spectrum because it's, it's, it's getting broader as we go. You're in Bentonville. What's the experience? What's, what's the trail like that you're working on there or the, the end product going to be once it's open to the public? 
Oh, this trail is is really fun. It's 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 a uh, it's a test in ways where I'm building a hand-built trail with the mini excavator. And so I'm building 12 to 18 inch tread with the mini X that's three feet wide, you know, with the track skinnied up. And it's, it's sometimes pretty dang scary to build because you're, you know, the way I build it is I'm only removing the dirt that I need to, to have the finished product behind like the native soil. Like I'm not cutting a four, a three foot wide path and then stacking the dirt back up and then packing it to make, make it 12 inches wide like i'm only removing the dirt that i need to so i'm on like a false bench when i turn around and i swipe that off i'm like swiping down to the leaf layer and leaving you know a foot wide so it's it's really just a a good little intimate single track it's just a mile long it's off of the east traverse which is some of the trail we did last year with single track trails and it's just fun and 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 there's going to be some more of that style building coming here it seems like sounds like to me a little bit more i mean that hand cut hollow whole area is really well received where it's it's out it's across the highway it's a little bit removed from the hustle of bentonville from like collar and slaughter pin and you you can actually feels like you're on a real mountain bike ride like you're out out kind of in the bush a little bit so it just adds a little bit out to the out there so it's it's uh I won't say, you know, it's not this huge deal kind of trail. It's just a, a really fun little little piece, neighborhood connector, really. There's been some, some people in the neighborhood have come down and thanked me for connecting them, you know, through their backyard down into the trail system. So, again, it's just connection, right? Like building trail for, for connection, for people to get in nature. It's such an important part, you know, and... One of the things that Imba's pushing that seems to be a common theme with this podcast, and it even came up in the previous interview, which is another builder that I, out of Arkansas that has yet to be released in that is the more, the whole more trails close to home concept, you know, and, and connecting neighborhoods, you know, with, with trails. And I've pushed it a lot in my community and, and to just see that become more of a thing is, is really good. Yeah. If you don't have to get it and fire up your car, burn fossil fuels, I mean roll out of your garage and go for a ride. I mean, that's, I think really, that's what we all want. That's one great thing about Salida. And I mean, you can have it anywhere you live. It's just how far do you want to pedal, you know, but I can do 25 miles with two, 2,500 bird out of my, out of the garage in Salida. And it's, it's amazing. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The garage is your trailhead is another theme that's been reoccurring here, you know, and that's super, super important. I know I get, I got about a 15 minute pedal through town to get to the closest trail, even though the closest trail to my house is literally a hundred yards from my driveway, <laughs> just doesn't allow bikes. <laughs> We're not going to go there. I remember your dismay <laughs> as we, when we met that day. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's super frustrating. I, you know, whenever I bring that up, people like revert to like wilderness issues and I have to quickly stop them. And it's like, well, this is actually like in city limits of a 51,000 person community in the county of a hundred plus thousand people, you know, it, it's, it's, it's own city parkland essentially. Right. You know, but we're in Wisconsin, Wisconsin has got some different policies and that came up between myself and another, uh, close friend in the industry who is also, who's going to remain nameless, but is also really 
tied in well with the trail building industry and tied in well with what we have going on in Wisconsin and, and appreciates and understands the struggles as well. <laughs> so with that being said, do you have any closing comments before we uh, wrap this sucker up? Oh man, no, I just appreciate having a bit of a voice. I think, I think us as trail builders, we're a little bit introverted and, and uh, you know, we, we took to the woods for work for a reason. We're not the greatest communicators often. So, you know, I, I thank you for, for giving us all a voice. I think it's, 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 it's well needed. We're, I think I told you out when we met, I was like, it's funny, most trail builders don't like to talk, but we all have something to say about what we do. And um, this is a great, a great way for that. And I thank you for that. And yeah, this is, has been fun. I hope to, you know, maybe have another. I think there's so many topics around this, especially as the industry grows. And you can talk for hours, really. Get into a groove and just roll, so. Yeah, for sure. And I definitely would, you know, as things progress with your company or just trail building in general, if things, you know, come up or topics come on your mind, you know, never hesitate to reach out. I'm, you know, always open. I mean, I started this for a reason because I want to learn more about the industry and I want to, through that, I want to be able to convey this knowledge to the masses, however big that may be. Yeah. You know, so I, I love these conversations. It's, it's always, it's always incredible. So I, I appreciate that you, you and other people continue to want to come on this, on this podcast. And it's, it's been a really pleasant thing to work on. Yeah, man. Yeah. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for, uh, yeah. Our, our run in, in the woods was pretty serendipitous because I was telling someone the night before I wanted to have a talk, have a chat with you. So. It's funny how things work, man. The universe aligns. So yeah, and like I like I alluded to at the beginning of the show, I just I had just finished riding with a couple guys from Rock Solid, mm-hmm. some friends of mine, and they took off. And I'm like, oh, I want to go back and do one more run quick because I knew I was going back to Wisconsin, and it's still 41 degrees here in Wisconsin as we record this a month later, almost. <laughs> and it was <laughs> you know 29 degrees this morning when I got up, and it's not normal. But I knew that riding. This in the spring was going to be tough to come by, so I wanted to get that last run in. So, right on. It worked out awesome, and I appreciate that we were able to connect. Yeah, totally, man. Thank you for reaching out, and look forward to more future conversations. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. Our next episode will feature Dustin Schultz, the founder and owner of Dirt Peddlers, based out of the Greater Minneapolis area. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing the shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you are new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out the ever-expanding library of episodes. Please don't forget to leave a rating and review, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect podcast. This podcast has been made possible by Smith's Bike Shop on La Crosse, Wisconsin, and has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature in Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.